Tabiso Musiya on SAFM. Okay, let's talk cricket now. Chapter 2, my friend, I'll give you the IPL score later on as we go along. But let's welcome former editor and senior contribu- contributor for the SA Cricket Magazine, Ryan Fredo, on the line just to talk about what's happening uh, with cricket. So much has happened over the past couple of days. Ryan, good evening and thank you for speaking to us on SAFM tonight. Hey, Tabisha. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Ryan. Firstly, maybe before we talk about the Proteas, let's look at the off-the-field matters because we can't ignore that. What's your take on the minister's statement that we received this past weekend where he promises to exercise his powers there after the Members' Council and the Interim Board failed to agree on the makeup of the future Board of Cricket South Africa? Yeah, um, I I completely agree with it. So so just some context for the listeners. Um, I've seen a lot of immediate reaction going that government is intervening in an area they shouldn't be. But, uh, but those people definitely haven't followed the story from the beginning. The, mm-hmm. mi- the minister has been more than generous um, in his leadership on this issue. He's given, he's given the CSA Members Council um, opportunity after opportunity to collaborate and to cooperate, um, and, um, and they just haven't. Um, and it got to a point where uh, this type of intervention, in fact, was, was, uh, it was certainly needed and justified, um, but... Uh, I think if you any sober-minded analyst of the situation would say that he's been more than patient with him, and he in fact could have intervened um, months ago, um, but he hasn't. He's given them every opportunity um, to self-correct, and they just don't want to. It's just it's just a, a case of them wanting to retain power because there's no legitimate reason for them not wanting a fully independent or majority independent board. Um, so I completely agree with with that course of action. I'm glad you touched on that because I was going to ask you, what do you make of how patient the minister has been? Because it's really given them an opportunity to sort things out. We've also had that he's been writing to the ICC just to keep them informed of, of what, what's happening. Has it been the right way to handle things from, from your point of view? Absolutely, Tabiso. So um, just, just so that the listeners, again, just so that the listeners, listeners know, mm-hmm. um, the, the minister has been constantly guided in, in his leadership from, by the Nicholson Report. So mm. that was a report back, that was released back in 2013 um, that recommended what the Members' Council is fighting now, a majority independent board. Um, the former minister, Fakile Mbalula, uh, couldn't enforce his will, um, and now I'm, I'm so happy that um, Minister Natin Tetua has... Um, Kind of, let's say, you know, he's 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 got a pay mm. <laughs> in that sense because um, because this was there is like I said to you, there's no um, corporate government or cricket reason for there not to be a majority in the appointment board. I could mm. understand if the current members council were highly competent at their jobs, but the evidence is there to suggest that they aren't and they won't be. So this is certainly the correct course of action. Um, for any sober-minded cricket analyst to the public at large. Yes, especially considering the shenanigans of the past few years when it comes to administration and cricket in South Africa. You would wonder exactly. they, why would the members' council not want um, fresh fresh voices or fresh faces or independent people to come and, uh, and and be part of this. They're not saying entirely they'll make up the whole board, but to be part of this. But they insist that cricket people must run cricket, and we've seen what's happened over the past few years. And, when, and yes, completely. Yeah. If, if you... If you just go and look at some of these statements, not in any one, and it's, it's my job to review all of them, not in any one of those statements have they built an argument um, for themselves and 
why why they wouldn't want a majority independent board. They they effectively, as the the, the structure, the governance structure stands, they effectively govern themselves. There's zero accountability um, in that. There's there's no room for for accountability in that current governance structure. A majority independent board would introduce such accountability, and clearly they don't want that. And by the way, for more context, they had agreed last week, Red Ryan, that they would approve this, uh, these independent members being part of the board, and then they made a U-turn at the meeting. Um, and and that's, uh, it's important that you raise that, because that has been the trend. Um, just, uh, I think it was two months ago, um, they refused to recognize the interim board. Then Minister Nati Ntetwa intervened. They succumbed um, and then recognized the independent board. Last week, like you say, they finally... Um, they finally surrendered their stance uh, on the issue and, um, and, and acknowledged that it would be a good thing to have majority independent board. Then at the special general meeting on Saturday, they again backtracked on, um, on that position. So, um, so there's, there's no question that the minister has made the right decision here because you can't, you can't go on with this obstructionism um, that is really destroying cricket in this country. And then, Ryan, what action then could the minister take? What can he do when he says he wants to exercise his rights in terms of Section 13.5 of so, the Sports Act? Without getting too technical, just so that, that, that everyone understands and that it's clear for all, um, the government can effectively take over the running of cricket uh, in South Africa. So they, they can, they can what, they've, what they've done is they, they, the SA Cricket isn't recognized as a national sporting body um, if they intervene to that extent. Um, and then the government can effectively take over the running of cricket in South Africa. Um, what will likely happen is that um, the, the interim board um, will be appointed by the minister to run affairs until um, they can actually appoint a, a, a board of that, that is guided by a sort of um, so government intervention, um, but they lean largely on the interim board's recommendations um, and then form a new board that will then govern cricket going forward. But simply mm. put, the government can take control of cricket. Are they able to take away their, their, their national team colours? Um, so, so that's a legal technicality that I'm really probably not um, uh, qualified to speak mm. on. But in theory... Uh, if you take if you take over control of cricket in South Africa, which they are constitutionally allowed to do, mm. um, I'd imagine that that would fall under the scope of such action. Yeah. Okay, so that's what's happening off the field, and we want to talk about what is happening on the field of play now because uh, Ryan also wrote an article there about just um, uh, about Mark Boucher and the team and what's going wrong here and. Um, we're going to talk about that. We just need to take a quick break, but I can see the voice notes are coming in. You can send them to 061-4104-107. Sport on on SAFM. Okay, so it's all happening in South African cricket on and all off the field. And there has been some pressure now on uh, the Proteas and Mark Boucher. But about a week ago, uh, Ryan wrote an article there which was published in the SA Cricket magazine. It's headlined, Boucher is failing and his reckoning is nearing. And Ryan... What, what do the numbers say, firstly, about his tenure as coach since he was appointed in late 2019? So, generally, the way coaches are measured um, are by their success in series. Right? Um, so, let's just use that as a point of departure. So, the, Mark Boucher took over the, the Proteas in December 2019. Um, since then, 
he's lost um, four. So, so just just in current context, he's mm-hmm. lost four series on the bounce. So that's four in a row. Um, in total, he's lost seven of the eleven that he's competed in. Um, and since so so seven of the eleven that he's competed in, and nine of those eleven series have been played on home soil. Mm-hmm. Only two of those of those series, um, and that was in Pakistan. Um, were played away, mm. so that's a that's a very generous um, schedule for any coach, mm. um, and um, and so th- that's what the numbers say. So, if you look at that record, uh, you know you, you've lost seven of eleven um, and tied one series uh, that that you that you've um, competed in as a coach. There's no question that questions need to be asked about Boucher's competency, and um, and so the point I made that. In the piece was that um, I'm not saying that Mark Boucher should be fired. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's probably too early to make such such an absolute judgment on his tenure. Mm-hmm. But we have to we have to ask questions about his competency, and um, and that's that's what the that's what the premise of the piece was. Yes, yes, and I read that, and you said, "Is Boucher a failure?" No, it's too early to make an absolute judgment on it. Is he failing? Undoubtedly, but. But also, are you surprised or you seem surprised by the lack of criticism from the media? Why is that? Because its predecessors have never been spared. <laughs> yeah, this is a dimension of the story that's really interesting for me. Um, so I can, I can only really speak from a personal perspective. Um, and, and I don't need to tell you that in journalism, you've got to divorce emotion mm. from um, the facts, right? And mm. you, if you look at the facts in a sober manner and you do an analysis of Boucher's contribution as coach, there's no way that you can come to a conclusion that he's, that he's okay, that he's done okay. Particularly when you, when you look at, in a historical context, the likes of Russell Domingo, Otis Gibson, and some other guys who have been ripped apart publicly earlier in their careers, um, and, and often with better records. Mm. So, what is good for one needs to be good for the other. And, um, and that's not the case. And it's an indictment on most of the South African cricket media that there's this deafening silence that has come from them. And it's not, it's not, it's not all. Um, there, have been some, there have been some voices that, that have echoed what I've said. Mm. But the vast majority of the South African cricket media have been silent on this. Um, they all have their reasons for that. Um, and I can't make an assumption on the reasoning for that. But the silence is deafening at this point. Yes, and and is he, is, does he have time or is the reasoning because he was a former player um, or he's close to the director of, of cricket, Graham Smith, some have called him part of the All Boys Club, but what could be the reason? Because he's clearly not being judged on numbers here. <laughs> Precisely. Look, it might, it's, it's probably a combination of different things to be so. There's no, there's no doubt that as a former player, um, he's held in high, high regard. Um, but that should be irrelevant when you're judging him in a coaching context, right? So mm. there's no question that, that, he's, that his status as, a, as uh, arguably an iconic Proteus player um, clouds the judgment of his current job. Um, he's so, so one of the other things as well is that people are arguing that um, he didn't have all, all of his best players at his, his disposal. Mm. Um, that, that argument falls flat when you consider that for all but this past series against Pakistan, 
he did in fact have his best players at his disposal. So then what about the other series? Mm. Um, and the other argument is something that we, that we spoke about earlier on, is that the turmoil at Cricket South Africa um, has, you know, it doesn't make for a great environment to coach in. Um, again, to that I say, when has Cricket South Africa ever been consistently stable? They've been a chronically, they've been plagued by chronic issues, whether that be corporate governments or internal scandal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you, you can't make the argument, you know, when, when if, if things were going well and Cricket South Africa was um, in, this, in this place, uh, someone like Boucher would have said, um, you know, we're not concerned about off-field issues. Our job is to perform on the field. And you've heard that from countless elite athletes and sports um, coaches over the years. And that really is what the what the job is. You you've got to um, blank out all of the noise and just do your job. And currently, he's not doing his job competently. And, and why is that? Why is he failing with this team? Or where is he failing as the leader, as the coach of this team? Because he should be providing uh, leadership. And this is this is a big issue. Um, so uh, on the weekend, he had a press conference where he um, he actually just. Uh, he actually just shot himself in the foot. Um, he made a comment about their tactical philosophy. He said, um, and, and I quote, the players were the ones who originally came up with a way that they want to play, mm. which is very nice, which is a very nice position for us to be in. On what, I, I've never heard an elite coach in any code that allows players to determine the tactical philosophy. Not Pep Guardiola, not Jurgen Klopp, not Paul Belichick, none of the great coaches. They set, a, they set a tactical philosophy and they build the teams around the tactical philosophy. In that way, they succeed or fail on their own terms. And, um, and that, is the, that is at the heart of this problem because really it, was, it, was, it exposed um, the major reason why this team is failing because there's no decisive leadership. So Boucher comes from a very different school of thought to say, Gary Kirsten, who was very skilled in man management, which, um, from what I understand, um, Mark Boucher, it's, a, it's an area that Mark Boucher is not exceptionally good at. Um, and so Kirsten was skilled in that area as well as skilled from a tactical um, perspective and a technical perspective. He could actually help players improve. Um, and time will tell whether Boucher is competent, like the piece that, that, uh, that brought me onto the show said. Mm. Um, time will tell whether Mark Boucher is a great coach or just a good one because great coaches are able to assess the lay of the land, so to speak, um, and then to make decisive change and transform results in a relatively short space of time. And, um, and so time, is gonna, time has judged Boucher but will continue to do so. He's either a great coach or he's just a good one. Um, and at this point... All the signs point to him being just a good coach, and you can't be that at an elite level. Oh, he's just a, a, a good coach. That, that that's better when he's working with great players. Because I know people will talk about his record at the Titans, but if you look at those Titans team guys, that's half the Proteas team at the Titans already. But let's take a couple of voice notes here on oh six one four one zero four one zero seven. 
Uh, good evening, Tabison. Good evening to your guest. I'm a big fan of SA Cricket Magazine, and I, I liked an article that one of your journalists wrote saying that CSA must invest in Calvarena because he is the future. And Tabiso, I don't know if you have that clip of Mark Boucher when he was questioned why is uh, Calvarena um, keep on being uh, in fact his omission in the team. And what he said to me, I think it's it's very. Um, very disappointing. He said that Calvarena was uh, was selected as a backup wicketkeeper to Heinrich Klaassen and saying that the fact that he made a 50 in the last ODA does not mean that he's a good T20 player. I mean, that's criminal. You know, that's very... Imagine Tabiso if Calvarena can hear that, saying that he's just a backup. He's not here to play. You know, he, that will kill the confidence of the young player. You know, it's very disappointing that Calvarena is keep keeping on being not being selected in the team. So for me, um, he should invest in Calvarena. Even Vernon Philander said it. He should play in all three formats of the game. Thank you very much, Tabiso. Very disappointing. Good evening, Taviso. Uh, you know, sometimes, I don't know, man. I feel like sometimes the media is understanding when it comes to certain people. Like, for instance, your guest there is saying my voucher won 7 out of 11, he tied one. His predecessor, says, I think it was, you know, if I'm not mistaken, he was not given enough time to, to actually showcase what he can do with the national team. But with Mark Boucher, it's been, it's been, it's been too long, man, you know? I think if we drew one or maybe we beat Pakistan in, 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 one, in, in a T20 series or one day series, we, we would have been speaking something different. But let's face it, the guy has been failing. So when is the media really going to criticize him so that he can also start feeling it? Like he can show us as a cricket-loving nation that we want to see where the cricket is going. And Look, the reason why the media and the cricket community is not as harsh on Boucher as they used to on other coaches is because the cricket community has come to accept that perhaps we're not as good as we were. I mean, it's easier to accept defeat now than when we had the likes of, the likes of A.B. de Villiers, Dale Stein, Jack Callis, Hashim Amla, Imran Tahir. I mean, we had all those greats and we've got nothing to show for it. So now, it, it wouldn't make sense if we ex still have high expectations with the likes of Hendricks when we had the likes of Dale Stain and we didn't win anything. So the, expectation, the expectations have dropped a little bit. Hence, Boucher is getting away with it. But I mean, to be outclassed in our own backyard, come on. TK1, Nunguig in the corner. Evening member, your team and my fellow listeners. Um, if Mark Boucher was coaching a football team, he would have long been gone. How long are we going to leave him to put us into this misery? T20 World Cup is around the corner. We know that they're going to choke like they usually do. Come on, appoint someone who's going to take us further. CSA is in a mess as well, but uh, in a way, they are to blame as well uh, for this misery that we are going through. Let's see if you have 11 direct from Pretoria. Thank you. 
Thanks, guys, for those questions. Maybe let's start with Terra's question, uh, Ryan. Is it is it is it a good enough reason to say we've lost some of the best players and this team is in a rebuilding phase? Um, I don't think it is. Um, so, like uh, the point I make in the piece is that great coaches are able to um, identify the players that are worth investing in and the players that they need to cull from the from the squad, um, and then add players that fit the tactical philosophy, like we said earlier. Mm. Then, those, those coaches are then able to coach up players to touch the ceiling of their potential. Um, that's why coaching matters. Otherwise, at international level, you could just have anyone because um, talent would then trump um, any technical investment, technical and tactical investment that a coach can make. Um, I'll give you a sporting example. Mm. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, for instance, when he took over at Liverpool, um, done exactly that. He identified, one, the way that he wanted to play, the players that he wanted to invest in, and who he needed to add to that squad. If you look at the successful Liverpool team um, of the last two years or so, you'd say that maybe four of those players are truly world-class players, five at the stage. Um, but the rest were players that he identified and invested in. Um, and I think that is very similar to the situation that we've got with the Proteas now. So you've got Quinte de Kock, who's, who's like exceptionally gifted and world-class. You've got Kakiso Rabada, who is world-class. Um, and I could, I could go on, and, but for the sake of time, I think my point is made. Yes. A, coach, a coach matters. A coach matters for that very reason. And a coach at elite level matters even more. Um, and especially with a team that found, finds himself in this phase of the development now. It's not good enough to say that, that we had Dale Stein, that we had A.B. de Villiers, that we had... Um, Faktuplessis, for example, because those players were once at this stage of their career. They were once at Aidan Markham's stage. They were mm. once at Dean Alder's stage. They were once at Vian um, uh, Lebe's stage. They were once at Calvary's stage. And coaching took them to the next level. Coaching allowed them to get to, to close to the ceiling of their potential. So and you also make an example of the Springboks, actually, in, 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 in your piece, which I think I is mean, also <laughs> a perfect example then, considering the team that Rassi took over and, yeah. uh, and where they were when he took over and they went to win the World Cup. But just for the sake of time, I mean, Libra sent us a voice note about Calvarena. I have that clip, Libra. I know what he said about Calvarena. I was as shocked as you. I actually read the article. I think, Ryan, you wrote that article about uh, the non-selection of Calvarena yes. in the national team. I mean, did you even understand that reasoning and and there are allegations now of biasness when it also comes to selection right. I, I can't speak to the allegations of biasness but just from a cricket perspective mm. it, it is the easiest selection that you can make that we saw i mean um so so if you if your standard is domestic form calvary has has averaged 50 for the last four seasons in domestic domestic um cricket if your standard is that um that you want to select the best team possible to win a cricket game. His, his selection is a no-brainer. So, Boucher's reasoning was that Calvarena was selected behind um, Hendrik Klaassen um, in the squad that he was given, key phrase, mm. in the squad that he was given. Vian Lubber was identified back in February as the rightful replacement should there be a top order, as he specified number three, position, which became available when Rashi van der became injured. I, I, I don't understand the rationale behind that. It's, it's not that Kyle Verena 
isn't a competent number three batsman. Like, he could fill that position. But more than that, he could be accommodated lower down the order and um, some reshuffles made to accommodate Calvary. You need to pick your best players. You need to pick your best available players. And Calvary fits that ball. I understand from a selection philosophy point of view, and I, I would agree with him that that type of planning is essential. But you get exceptions to the rule. And Calvary is the exception to the rule because he's a generational talent that has emerged and literally can help you, can be the difference between winning a cricket game and losing a cricket game. And those types of players need to be accommodated irrespective of whatever selection plans were made. Um, and especially if the fit for that team is as easy as the one that, that could have been made. Yeah, and we've seen so many times that a keeper is selected, they end up fielding because they selected to bet. And modern cricket has changed so much that um, it's about betting first, even before your wicket-keeping skills. You can check with India, preferring Rishabh Pant ahead of Rina Saha. But Ryan, we're just going to have to leave it there because of time. But thank you very much for speaking to us. I hope people can read your articles on SA Cricket Mag, or you can also follow him, Ryan underscore Freddy, on social media. And I hope we can speak to you again soon on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, Ryan, a former editor of the SA Cricket Mag and is now a senior contributor to SA Cricket Mag. And also, guys, how much of it has to do with qualifications? Remember when Mark Boucher was appointed here, we were questioning the lack of qualifications, how he didn't have the required qualifications. We even spoke to Jacques Fall at the time, who was in charge, the interim CEO, and he didn't think it was a problem, but he said Boucher will be judged on results. There's a journalist, John Goliath from the Western Cape, who also did a wonderful article on why qualifications are important. He was ridiculed on social media and, and by many people but it looks like is being proven right now that qualifications are key there is a reason for qualifications you need to upskill yourself you can't just rely on your playing background but anyway um he still has two more years mark poucher so let's see what happens uh if he will be given time to continue here but at the moment it's not looking good but he still believes that he is the right man to turn things around when it comes to the pro tiers we're not being alarmist but i mean if you look at that record they've lost eight out of 11 of the series or seven out of 11 as ryan had said